And you're listening to the mother of all sports shows. And I'm here in sunny St. Helens. It's the 16th of January. And the time is up. What is it, Matthew? What's the time? Go on. Uh, Quarter past four. Quarter past four in the afternoon. And I'm looking out at the luscious pastures of St. Helens from the beacon of light. Centerpiece. Made to run. And here we go again on the mother of all sports shows. And today we're going to be talking about all sorts from Ugali, that famous Kenyan flower, with some recipe suggestions from our honourable tenant, Mr. Matthew Crane. We're going to be talking about Rhodesia, Bolt, False Starts, and you name it on the mother of all sports shows. Matthew, any interesting news this week, sir? Well, I've been following this um, this cross country debate that we uh, we spoke about a uh, a couple of weeks ago. To be fair, and uh, I know I've just thrown this curveball at you because you didn't know I was going to talk about this. <laughs> <laughs> and um, so you you brought it up, and I've been following yeah. it in the news for you, yeah, and keeping yeah. tabs on it. And um, Good, bad. yeah, so so obviously what what it's what it's turns out is is um, there's a um, a group. That are, are against that are that are for equality, um, but they're not actually like they're, they're not actually, they don't actually compete in cross country. They're, they're a club, they're a running club, um, but they don't compete in the cross country races or anything like that. Um, but they're all about equality, and so they've they've petitioned um, the new chairman of, of UK Athletics, Joanna Coates, um, to sort of say, you know, oh, this is outrageous. We, you know, it should be equal, everything like that. And a survey was created then um, by UK Athletics uh, to sort of ask the, the the running club members and things like that did they want the races the, the distances to be equalised? And um, to be fair, um, Northern Northern Athletics, uh, Midlands and South, um, along with England Cross Country um, Committee Association, who, who put on the national. Have all joined together to show the unhappiness with this survey, um, with this sort of decision in things. They think the survey is very biased in the way. Decision, it's asked. sorry, decision. Well, this decision to sort of look at it and oh, sort just of to look, you know, at it, look at yeah. it and things like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, they, they think the survey is very biased in the way it's questioned. I've not actually seen this survey, so I mean, yes. they've, they've not done a great job of, of sending it around to club members. I mean, I'm a chairman of a club, and I've I've not seen this survey at all. So. Um, you know, so I mean, to, to get people, and we're a cross country club. We compete in it. We've got a long history in it at Sutton. Yeah. Um, and you know, I've as I say, I've not seen it, so it's not doing a great job of doing that. I've seen lots of articles about it, but none of them have a link to the survey for me to mm, look at and, okay. and see. Um, but it turns out this this organisation that want this equality, yes. um, are, are telling all their members fill it in as many times as you want this survey. Say you need, you know, this is we want equality distances. You actually, um, but when you actually speak to as I was saying last time round, I don't think a lot of the top female runners who compete and things like that will want to do run um, a further distance than what they already run in cross country. Um, and lo and behold, a lot of the top British female runners have come out and said, "No, we we're happy with the distances we're running. We don't want yes. to run any further." Yes. Um, and a lot of statistics that have been pulled up from from English Cross Country Association and the likes of the. Um, the northern northern athletics and such they've all said how if the if it was to increase in distance like just from a local league level um, not a, let alone the sort of national and, and things like that and inter counties and stuff um, they would see a, dr- a huge drop 
in numbers competing, which you already see lower numbers anyway in the women's races in cross country than you see in the men's, um, especially in likes of the under 20s women's um, and things like that. You would potentially see an even bigger drop in numbers if they suddenly had to run a further distance because cross country running in the conditions it's in, the time you're out on there, because women, you know, even as great runners as, as, as the top female runners are, usually will take longer than, than the, well, the top women will take longer than the top men will over a certain distance. Your, your top 10K is, is, is slower for a, a top female runner than it is for a top male runner. Um, and as you go down through the field, that, that increase is going gonna, is gonna to increase in, in the time and delays of, of finishing. So they're going to be out there in those elements for even longer. So they're quite happy to take on the, the 8K courses they do rather than step it up. But it's this, it's this organisation uh, for equality uh, that aren't actually involved in cross-country races or anything like that, that are, that are fighting for it and petitioning for it to be equalised. And who are they? Who are the, those? This, this, uh, I, this... I can't even remember the name of them, to be fair. Okay, uh, okay. But they're equality, something equality in running, something like that. And this, uh, I'm still waiting for this curveball that you were throwing at me. Oh, well, that was just the conversation. That, okay. that was yeah, just yeah, bringing yeah. it up in the conversation because uh, <laughs> I thought it was going to. We, we've had we've had a we've had a I good discussion. Was attack, you say, attack no, no, no. I'm saying we've right, we've right. had a good discussion about what we want to talk about today, and uh, I've just thrown this one at you out of the, right, <laughs> out of the off the starting gun. Um, yeah, interesting. Now, tell me about this, Joanna. What's her name? Joanna Coates. Coates. Yeah, yeah. 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 Tell C-O-A's. me about who is she? Who is she? Uh, so she's the she's the. Um, I think she's the new the new head of UK athletics. And what does that position involve? And what is UK athletics for the listener? What is it? What does that body? Uh, how does so, it operate? And so it's it's, it's yeah. involved in the um, the sort of the, the the top end, not the grassroots side of the sport. That's down to England athletics and Scottish athletics and such. Um, but UK athletics is is dealing with the more on the elite side of things. So the the main competition rulings. Um, they get their funding from um, from UK Sport, um, which oversees all the sports, uh, you know, Olympic sports in the UK. Um, then their funding comes down to uh, UK Athletics, which usually the funding is is around sort of the position in major in the Olympics and stuff like that. So you know the medals that we get, um, so that, you know the medals that are achieved at Olympic Games usually affect how much funding. If there's a lot more medals the sport gets more fun in it if there's not as many it doesn't um, athletics usually does pretty well because it's it's a top tier olympic sport um, you know the whole final week of the olympics is taken up with athletics there's other little sports going on around but but it's always the athletics is the big thing there um, so there's usually a lot of funding that, that does go towards athletics but obviously the, the the current regime that's been under a lot of people being fired a lot of scrutiny over various things that have been done um, you know the likes of the, um, sending Mo Farah out to well the connections to Salazar and then the, the you know the all rumours and questions over certain um, uh, injections and stuff like that hard and whether they were okayed and th- you know a lot of the, and the development pathways and things like that, and relationships that people have had and stuff so the, the, there's a lot of uproar at the moment around it um, around UK athletics and things like that and its management alongside the likes of England athletics and its management of the sport in, in, at a grassroots level. Um, but Joanna Coates is yeah the head of head of UK athletics. She's come on board. How did she and, get the position? So um, she has been. Um, she was head of netball. I think she's a, she's a former netball player. Netball, that's uh, not a netball. sport, is it? Yeah, yeah, it's a uh, Sydney Olympics and stuff like that. I think it is. Uh, it's a sport anyway. Um, that was a joke. That was a joke. <laughs> <laughs> but. Um, <laughs> 
But uh, you know, so she's she's become um, head of UK athletics, and yeah, she's she was brought in. She'd had a lot of success, and she's from a sports background. So, in comparison to some of the uh, recent people we've had in charge of UK athletics, she's actually got a, a pretty decent background to come and be in charge. We've had a lot of businessmen who've tried to run the sport as a business, and that hasn't been as successful because it's it's not a business. You know, I mean, there's obviously business aspects to it. Um, but it's a sport, you know, someone can perform great on one day and isn't going to perform great on another day. In a business situation, you'd expect them to perform, you know, their job every single day to the same level because, you know, it, it's a it's a business role. But in sport, that's never going to be the case. You know, it's, it relies on a lot of different factors. Um, so, you know, everyone was great. That We're quite happy to see Joanna Coates become the, the head of UK Athletics, but she had a very tough job. Uh, ahead of her to and this was in the last 12 months she's become head of, of UK athletics um very tough job ahead of her to try and deal with all the underlying issues that that sport in the, uh, the athletics in the UK has, has had really within, um, within that body how much power does she actually hold is she just a figurehead or does she really have a no big she, she is she is the, the the main the main woman now the one in charge at the very top of the sport so um the people that she, even so, come before e- her have, have, even have, so, you know, you, you you know, even a prime minister can have little power. You know, if, if the people around him have different ideas, you know, it can be a huge struggle. You know, you're not necessarily just because you're, you know, you. Yeah, I mean, inch, I, you know. it's. I suppose it's. She's more. Um, I suppose think of a, a presidency. Uh, well, I mean, look at well, that's, a, that's a, a good point, is it, Donald Trump? You know, as much as he wanted perhaps to do certain things, you know, Congress and whatnot would quite easily prevent certain things from happening. Example: yeah, the, yeah. the wall, um, the famous wall, which was never built. Yeah, the, the difference is that there's no Congress or or or, uh, or anything to stop her. Um, there, there is a, a body, though, isn't there? Are people of around her collective communion of people who only never... the people she hires, to be fair. Okay, okay, um, interesting. There's, there's obviously the, there is the the. Democracy, bodies, you know, the dissolved it, bodies, the grassroots sports side, so the England Athletics, Scottish Athletics, Northern Ireland, uh, Welsh Athletics, all of them have some say in, in certain things. Do they really? Um, yeah. But yeah. That, from a grassroots sort of level, not from the, the, the performance level, which is where she governs over and things By like that. By the way... And I, she holds the purse strings to England Athletics and such. Um, mm. So they've sort of got to follow suit under her thing because, you know... She wants to reduce their funding because she they're not playing ball and she, she they're not playing can netball. Do. Well, yeah, netball. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, I thought the whole argument with this particular lady was that she wanted to reduce the men's distance to equate to the ladies' distance, but no, this no, is no, not so the case. You're talking now. Yeah, of it's, so it's increasing not, the ladies' distance to equal the men's distance. It that's, that's, it, no, it wouldn't equal no. the men's distance. It would be a, a middle ground. So, so the, the men's would so reduce. Men's, yeah, so the okay, men's would okay. reduce. The women's would increase, um, in, and they'd become a you know a middle ground between the two. But it's not it's not Joanna Coates that that's wanting that. But it's that she has bowed to the pressure of this this um, pressure group. Um, that are basically saying it, yes. it should be equal, and so she's you know listen, listen, which to be fair she's listened to the people, which is good. Mm. The issue being these people aren't actually involved in cross country; they don't, yeah. don't participate yeah. in, in it. Um, so, so where do we stand? What's the cutting edge of this debate now? Where is it? Because as far as I'm concerned, she's had a lot of flack from various. Uh, individuals and bodies they're not happy Northern Athletics we read a letter statement by them yeah, yeah. completely against the proposal so she's obviously must have taken these these opinions into account she must have surely seen them or heard them of what they have to say yeah and I, I um, think she's, she's probably doing and a, she's on the back foot now 
A little bit, yeah. I mean, and what's going to happen next? Clearly, this survey, you know, hasn't gone down well. Uh, the the way it's worded isn't isn't uh, is, is sort of biased and things like that. And and to me, I mean, she's probably doing a little bit of a, a Matt Hancock at the moment, where she's sort of, you know, um, oh, at the end of it, we'll just say, oh well, I'm 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 glad it's worked out all right in the end. <laughs> <laughs> don't mention Matt Hancock, bloody hell, that'll depress the the uh, the army of listeners. They don't want to hear about <laughs> Mr. Cog. What's he called again? Mr. Cock doesn't get a mention on the mother of all sports shows. Moving on, sir. I'm making great progress with the book on the uh, running with Kenyans, Mr. Finn. And by the way, I've my investigative research has 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 furthered, and I now understand his first name, Adharhan. Adharhan. Well, I can't pronounce it, but. There's a reason for this name. His mother and father were hippies, and um, it's Sanskrit for eternal bliss. Did right. you know that? No, uh, I didn't. It's in the book. It's in the book. You've read the book, and you didn't see that you... Many yeah. times, many times, but I do, uh, a long I, time I also ago. forget things, and it's okay for me because I'm still reading it, you know. But um, <laughs> he considered himself an Englishman, so I must correct myself, but he did state that his parents were Irish. A mixed bag, like myself. He's written a book... Um, he's there, he's amongst the people, and um, yeah, I just want to say, uh, Bernard Morgan died this week, a friend of mine, he was, I think he was 90 years of age, um, people won't know him, but it's just a personal thing that I'd like to commemorate his life, he really, really inspired me as an old man, um, I was in Slovakia with him and Fred, many years ago, 10 years ago, we went a few times, and this individual, he had the wicked, the most wicked sense of humor. He would completely rip my old friend Fred to pieces in the most, oh, subtle way. But he inspired me to read, and um, he told me I knew effing nothing, and he he was that kind of person, you know, and he, he said it as it was, but with this cutting edge of humor that I'd never witnessed before I perhaps gleaned something from that I took it forward into my own bosom and um, Bernie died this week in Broad Green he's no longer with us and I hadn't seen him for a few years he had a stroke he'd withdrawn from society he was hard to get a hold of Fred went to, couldn't get near him he wasn't I don't know what I mean I just think that's sickening that he, he couldn't see him you know May, but anyway, moving away from that, this man is the reason I read today, I think, because without him, you know, I wouldn't have, have picked up books. And I think books are really, for me, forget education, forget your schooling, boys and girls, forget it all, forget the certificates, forget the egotistical um, inducer that, that those certificates give you. When the, the those books for me, they they have it all in them, and um, they have all the learning without the bits of paper, and I've gained so much from other people's lives written down on paper, and I haven't read much really, you know, but from history books, Bernie would always recommend. So I, I salute you, sir, and I, I I understand, you know, it's just a personal thing for me just to get that off my chest, uh, Bernie. What a great man you were. And I will always remember you till the end. Now, going on into the book, this famous 
Ugali, um, which, Matthew, you tell me it's a flower, used to buy, I believe, for £1.50 on a stall in Wigan. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, it, it, so the, the dish is Ugali. The, it's made from a flower. Um, and the flower is called... No, we don't know that now. Fairly, it's cornflour. Um, it's it's you've got to get it as a certain grain. You don't want it too fine. Okay. Um, and you don't want it too coarse. It's got to be in between, sort of thing. Um, and yeah, basically you can you can make it into a bread, um, sort of like a flatbread. Uh, but you can also make it into sort of like a, a porridge sort of substance, uh, which is which is what the that's the more the Ugali dishes that is the porridge style sort of substance. And you um, went through a phase where you were using this very much often part of every meal and yeah, you had re- give us these recipes. Yeah, every, every meal I was I was eating it with and this this was after reading. Um both running with the Kenyans and um, stuff like Mo Farah's autobiography as well. He, he mentioned it in there. And How things. many so, years ago was this? Uh well we're Four talking about 2016, 2017. Okay, give us the recipes. Uh, recipes. So, yeah, so I mean, I'd I'd have it in the in the morning um, as a, as as breakfast, and uh, basically um, sort of like a porridge-like substance, and I'd have uh, a little bit of chai seeds in there, and then um, some some honey, a couple of tablespoons of uh, of honey, uh, just to sweeten it and give it that sort of sweet sort of you know breakfasty sort of cereally sort of flavouring, I suppose. Um, so yeah, that was that would be breakfast. Uh, lunch, I would then have it a sort of um, not as not as sort of watery, not as porridge-like at that point. Maybe cook it a little bit longer so it dries a little bit more, um, and use it with sort of a bit of salad and some chicken and things like that, and then maybe uh, a little bit of salad dressing, uh, depending on what flavour and things you wanted um, for my lunch. And then um, and then with my dinner, I used it as sort of you know a replacement for the likes of um, for rice or um, you know any sort of you know other sort of grain um, and put it you know with stews with it or something like that and just you know plenty of vegetables and meat which is a lot of what the you know the Kenyans themselves eat. How long were you on this stuff for? Uh, I pro- I probably used it for a good year just as much. Did you find an improvement in your running? Not necessarily, no. Uh, nothing that I could correlate to mm. to the running, uh, to the Ugali and the running sort of thing. Yes. But um, you know, it was it was a nice dish. It was it was simple. It was easy to cook. You know, I was doing it for myself, so it, it you know it was nice and easy sort of to do. Um, Sorry, did you ever make the bread, the, the Ugali bread? Did you make that? Uh, no? Once or twice. Okay, so, yeah, 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 I, yeah, I cooked yeah. it through to that. Yeah. And did you um, get the did you get the texture? You know, the way it should be, or you know, sure? I, I don't know because okay. I've never tried it. Uh, okay. You know, a more traditional sort of proper way, but um, you know, it sounded, it, it seemed to be what I, what I sort of expected it to be like and stuff. Um, so you know, yeah, it's. it's my uh, analysis so far on this on this book, you know, for people who are uh, reading along with us. Or with me on this particular book, you're now. What are you reading at the moment, sir? Are you reading something? Uh, yeah, I'm actually reading the um, the ultramarathon book of which of I, Finn I that gave you, you passed yeah. on to me the from Kane Green. Yeah, uh, we thank Kane yeah. for for that book. Um, so yeah, pick up that at the moment and uh, progress. Have you made any progress with it? Yeah, I've got uh, probably five or six chapters in. Um, I've sort of got that going, and I've got another book going um, that I forget the name of at the moment because I'm sort of listening. Weirdly enough, I'm listening to it as an audio book. I've also got a, a hard copy of it, and I'm sort of split between mm. walking the dog, putting it on as the audio book, and then when I'm in the house, reading it as, as the book and, is. And, and do you um, do you you don't re- you know? Let's say you've listened to chapter five and you you've read up to chapter four. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you then? 
if you go back to reading, you skip chapter four or five. Yeah, yeah, You, you yeah, move yeah. on. You yeah, don't just carry on. Yeah, it's not. You're not trying to reinforce the no, whole thing. No, no, no. I'm just reading okay. through. Um, I mean that that book's about a. Um, he's in his forties. Um, and he's he's been a good runner. He's run sort of all his life. He's he's done about thirty odd marathons or so. Um, and he wants to go and train. Um, he wonders whether if he trained with an elite group, would it have any benefit to, to him following a you know a plan of, of training with a, a you know elite squad under a coach and things? Would it have any benefit to his performance? And he goes and joins the um, North Arizona Elite um, squad under Ben Rosio, who's a you know a group that I, I follow um, on social media and things like that, um, with the likes of Scott Forbes and stuff who are based a lot of my marathon training off. Um, so I found it. It was a book I saw recently, and I thought I'd pick that up and, and have a little read. And Who is listen. this fella? I can't remember his name at the okay. moment. And yeah. I, I know uh, we've we've put our phones away in a drawer somewhere so that we we uh, they don't go off and, and affect the signal or anything. So um, I next I time, can't look it up either. Next but, uh, time, yeah, yeah. Listen, there is an African food shop in Fingerpost, Saint Helens. I noticed it this week, and you're aware of this shop. I've never been in there. But I'm sure if people in the local area wish to, to find some gali, then there, there's there's a local place perhaps you could get some from. You probably could, yeah, I, I would think so. I know I used to go to the, to a market stall in, in Wigan, as you said before, and I know uh, our friend Rachel Furcliffe asked me uh, about it years ago when uh, when I was posting on Instagram about me eating new garlic, you can you can see some of my my pictures on there if you uh, follow me on uh, on Instagram there. No, right, okay, yeah, <laughs> no, uh, I've no interest in doing that. <laughs> Rachel, um, great to hear that you're listening to the show. Is she listening to the show? Probably. I don't think so. Probably not. <laughs> well, she Rachel, have more to say if she heard you it, uh, on it, it, so. If you are listening, dear, then please send us in your ugali recipes. And moving on, uh, or oh, in relation to Ugali, on the story, uh, Brother Colm, this famous Irish brother, you know, when we talk about brothers, some people who are listening may not understand, you know, this person has dedicated his life to Christianity, a certain religious sect within the Christ- Christianity. Um, celibacy is gen- general, general, general rule. Um, and... Uh, Brother Colm has gone over there oh, in the, I'd say, late 70s, early 80s with not not a clue, to be honest, about athletics. And he's found himself at the centre of some amazing results in, a, in a, a, a transformative period where Kenyans have taken over at the very, very top level. And many of them coming from this school, St. Patrick's, um, in this area of Aiten in Kenya, and uh, in the story, Finn goes and approaches um, Brother Colm, who's eating something with with jam in it. And he says, "Oh, but they don't eat; j- they don't like jam." I thought, "Well, you might, you know, do you? they're they're eating dry bread." The the other guys in the school on this particular, they have this uh, junior program throughout the year, and they bring in, they pick out, you know, certain people from certain schools within the I think the the region, and they bring them to this. Um, this you know this gathering of junior sort of program and 60 percent perhaps really make it to the top level from that program some some uh, splendid results and a focus on form you know uh, um brother Colm, um you know you you've got the finest athletes but you're still tweaking things and, and looking to perfect and um yeah it was just interesting um 
when discussing the Gali and whatnot, and these these scientists, he said, oh, they're looking for the secret. You know, he folds his arms and he starts to to fume, as Finn describes. Um, you know, they they come over here and they're inspecting the Ugali and they want to cook it. They won't take it with them. They want to cook it at high altitude. They want to find out what's in it. You know, and I'm trying to tell them that there is no secret. But for me, no, there is no secret. What it is for me so far in the story, Matthew, as far as I'm concerned, sorry, I did go on. It's this really, really tough living, this hard, hard living. Um, the barefoot, the initial, you know, just the culture of having to start off barefoot, the connection with the ground, which develops perhaps a better um, form, you know, just through circumstances, not through decision-making as to do, this is, you know, whereas Western cultures, we immediately stick them in shoes to protect them from the enemy, which is the floor. Not the case, you know, the floor, that connection develops that better. And then the hardness of the living, the running, the active running to and from school, three kilometers, it's, you know, it could be more, it could be a lot more, but a lot of them, you know, maybe running three, three K to school and back six K, you know, it's three miles a day at young age. It's, it's nothing really, but it's everything at such a young age, and it's a real development. And in contrast to the sedentary lives that Westerners are living, you can see they're already on the front, front foot, going forward, marching forward. And finally, sorry, Matthew, before you... you, 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 you I know you've got something to say. The, um, the really interesting thing for me is some of the finest athletes, Rhodesia and whatnot, have made this journey. They're at the top. They've won... Big, big events. They've raked in vast amounts of prize money, but they've made a decision, and this is crucial, made a decision to live this, even after that, even after the, the, the great gains, to live this life of primitive. We're inside sort of a training group where Finn witnessed some of these champions without showers, filling buckets of water, splashing themselves with water. They've got barely the essentials, they go for their run. They leisurely keep themselves by the through the day, and but they haven't got. They're not living in any kind of luxury. In fact, they're living such a primitive life. You could depict the scene from perhaps fifty years ago in this country. You know, maybe even longer. And they want that. They know that that is important because it gives them the edge. It gives them the hunger. And yeah. I, I, well, there you go. So one of the things I did want to say on that was, um, and you've just touched on it there, is if you go back to the era of, of the you know golden era of British athletics, so you know that that fifty, forty, you know thirty odd years ago sort of era, it was tougher in the you know in the United Kingdom. You know where we're talking well, mining, you know especially in the north of England, things like that um, you know Liverpool on the docks and stuff like that, uh, coal mining around St Helens and such, and you know take St Helens for example. It's a perfect example just there. We've had some fantastic athletes come from St. Helens um, and, and the local sort of area. Um, you know, some, some fantastic sort of performances from a, um, you know, a, a, from club standpoints with, with Sutton and its, its five national wins uh, back to back and things like that back in, in, in the 50s and stuff. Um you know, and, and but it was it was harder. It was a harder lifestyle than it is now. There wasn't the luxuries and and some of the freedoms that we have today. And um, I think yeah, I think you can draw some sort of comparison in in terms of just the the hardiness um, of of those eras to 
uh, to sort of you know that that hardiness of the Kenyan lifestyle that a lot of them live by. And obviously, like you say, you know someone like Kipchoge, um, you can watch the the Breaking Two documentaries and things like that. Um, and you can see him at the training camp. There is there's there's there's, there's no real there's no electricity. There's um, you know they've got a, I think it's a pump shower they've got there and stuff like that. So you know, um, and he, he's he's there. He's you know he I mean he must be he must be a multimillionaire by yeah. now with the, the performances he's done and the things he's won and and, and stuff. Um, but he lives in that very primitive, very basic sort of lifestyle for the majority um, of his training. And, uh, you know, I know he goes, you see him go home and you see the sort of house that he's got is a very nice, very, you know, he's, you know, a lot, as you said, um, as we were discussing earlier on, these guys have got miles more money than, than both of us combined sort of thing. But they choose to live um, in this sort of primitive sort of way um, to keep that focus and keep that drive um, you know, and and then, and a, and then they'll have those they'll have those luxuries. They'll have you know that farm that they buy for the family that will provide for them post you know their athletics career. But during during that career, they're, they're focused and they're and they're driven and and they will you know let go of those luxuries to really be able to. to focus there's clearly on a realization. There's a realization there from infancy, from bringing that that upbringing that's created the success itself and there's a realization that if you take that away what have you got you know you've got a softened and, and they've seen it you know because some of them do move away from the camps and they see they don't they lose the edge and when you're in a race scenario you know and the thoughts you know the psychology of it and you're really really you know struggling and you're to hold on cutting edge that's the the best way of describing it the hardiness allows you much more easily just to hang on in there and for others who have lived in the luxury i think it's a much more easy just to give up and, and lie down and what do we take from all this well what do i take from it when i look around me i look around saint helens and i i see young people who are living these sedentary lives um, and they're looking to become footballers and whatnot. And I think, well, take it all away from them. Strip it all back. Um, if you can, if you've got the time, if there are the enlightened people who can create um, an environment which locks out all those luxuries, which are not really luxuries, actually the, the, the detriment to success. Um, I don't know if you can do that in, in this society. I, I think it's, you don't see it, you know, we, we live, we don't realise, we don't really realise at all some of the basic things that we have and we take for granted. And, um, yeah, I don't know. If you, let's say, let me ask you a question, Matthew, you know, looking well, ahead, you retire from the sport, you know, you've, you've, let's say, let's say you have a long, successful career and you do quite well. 20, 30 years down the road, Matthew, you're now... 55 you know uh, you want to stay involved you want to produce work with emerging talent in the local area how are you going to do that you know in a society which is geared towards technology sedentary sort of living and it's not just that you've got the parents who are supporting that on every front you you'd you'd, you'd do well to find anyone who thought outside yeah. of the box could you create a school? I don't know if it would be possible. 
a boarding school, let's say, where you had a curriculum, a basic curriculum, a very, very, very sort of basic living. I think I think you I think you'd be closed down tomorrow. I don't think it'd be allowed. You know what we? Yeah, what I don't think you would. I, I, I think there's. I think you can see. I think the way in the UK that athletics is done, and and again, it, maybe it goes back to what we were discussing earlier on, how it's been run for the last several you know year decades even. Um, but you 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 look at obviously we're talking Kenya these training camps. Well, if we look out to the US, they do have these training camps as well. Now, obviously, there's a bit more luxury to these training camps out there than there is in in Kenya and and such. But there's still this mentality of you know I was listening to a, an interview uh, with an athlete who's just left. Um, Nike, Nike has dropped him and he's moved to to the North um, Arizona elite elite squad. Um, and to do that, he's had to pack up from living in Portland, leave his girlfriend behind in Portland, uh, and move to, to, to Arizona, uh, northern Arizona, to join that squad to get the benefits and training. So he's basically packed up his life, packed up everything he's doing to go and pursue athletics. So in some degree, he's living that sort of lifestyle that the Kenyans obviously he's got a little bit more luxuries you know the, they've got all the electricity and the uh, the TVs and things like that it's a little bit different but he's still following that dream of focusing on the athletics and going after that and leaving some of the his life behind that he had and, and things and so there, there is the, the, the ability to sort of do that in a western world I think there's a lot of sort of pressure on obviously on making money and things like that and I think you You'd have to find, um, you know, certain individuals really who can see past the ideas of of the monetary values and things like that, and see the the passion and, and love for athletics and their performance, and who want to sort of pursue solely that. And obviously, if they can achieve the the goals of Olympic medals and Olympic, you know, racing at the Olympics, then money is obviously going to be something that comes alongside that. This was the other so, argument uh, in the boot, you see. With such strong, immense competition from the Kenyans, you know, no disrespect. What what white man in 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 Britain would would even attempt in athletics to try and take them on? And 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 um, forgive me, that's not a racist statement, but that's just a you know to take on those Kenyans and beat them at the highest level, um, because we you know. Across, across, you know, we're so far behind, you know, even at the highest level, to take them on, you know, to have that kind of commitment, but to beat, to, to, to even compete at, at that highest level. People, uh, their heads have dropped. They've given up before they even started. Yeah, there's, there's and, definitely, and, um, there's a challenge there. But, I mean, there's 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 plenty of athletes that have competed against them. Um, so, uh, Craig Mottram from Australia... Uh, would always battle uh, the likes of Haile Gabriel Selassie and Bikili on the track, uh, and would be be right up there. Um, the likes of Galen Rupp, uh, Mo Farah's uh, training partner, uh, our former training partner, would again be up there um, in the women's races, especially if you come down slightly to the 1500s and the 800s. Um, we've got a lot of top Brits that, that to be fair, um, the likes of... Um, uh, uh, Laura uh, Laura Muir, 
a name for uh, escape me then but Laura Muir is is one of um, the best in the world and happily takes it to the Kenyans and Ethiopians over the the 15 and the 5000 meters and will will battle uh, for a medal at any major championships alongside them um and there's a couple others uh, uh, her training partner Gemma Riki as well um, more on the 800 meters will happily battle against against them um so th- there is there is room and there is the ability um we you know, know, you're know, you're now you, you are talking shorter distances now, but when we move up to that marathon, there's yeah. a huge gap there. Oh yeah, the, I mean, to the marathon. So I mean, you, you're fastest American. Uh, well, I mean, we, we we interviewed Johnny Mellon, and fair play to the man. He's the fastest. He was the fastest Brit in the London marathon. Yeah. Um, the first one back. You know, there was an Irishman just ahead of him, but you're talking two ten, two nine, I think two ten. Yeah. But yeah. you know, you, you're talking like. The, the, these Kenyans are running yeah, just over two hours. You yeah, know, it's a, a bit, it's a, a gulf there. You know, a, yeah, there's definitely a. Considerable... Uh, and these are the best we've got. You know, Britain, Ireland. You know, um, to compete. You know, see, this is what I'm I'm suggesting here. In the initial phase of development, coaches are looking for success, and they've got to. They must surely think. Well, hang on. We've got to to have real success. We've got to beat the very best. And they may not even believe it from the off, you know, from the off. Yeah, I, I think, yeah, I think if you focus on the marathon distance, there's, there's definitely a, a gulf there in performance. I mean, even in America's um, sort of top, uh, top runners, is, is, you know, his, his best is uh, well, it was Ryan Hall at, um, I think it was Boston, which is negative downhill, so it doesn't officially count, um, was a 204. So even there, you're talking three minutes behind the, the world record of Kipchoge, mm. um, which is you know a considerable way. Mm. Um, and then obviously a lot of the guys, you know that, that they've they've had this big fight about you know the two ten being the big barrier, which you know when you look at the world stage is a, is a nowhere barrier in a way because yeah. the, the Kenyans and Ethiopians are. And we're not d- by the way, by team. the way, people. When I looking at the figures here, we're not talking about one or two Kenyans. We're talking no, about rafts, 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 and of. People and and the Kalenjins, Kenyans. We've yeah. not mentioned this yet, have no, we? No, no, we've not. So it, within Kenya, you have different tribes. And the interesting thing about this discussion is that more so than any of the tribes, you're talking a very high percentage, the, the Kalenjin, and they speak the Kalenjin, uh, this language, local dialect, I think, yeah. within, within, between this, this particular tribe. There, that's where the success story lies. Uh, within I-10, within St. Patrick's, that particular school, the development is Kalenjin, a makeup of Kalenjin. You you get uh, occasional, um, other, you, know, you mentioned the, Ma- the Maasai, Maasai, tribe, Maasai yeah. tribe, I think one or two, you know, but the large majority are coming from this Kalenjin. And the question is to why, you know, why? But um, yeah, it's, it's a discussion that could go on forever. But... Um, it is. I think, I think with the... I think the thing with... With the marathon, is there's a there's there's a considerable a lot more there's a lot more money to be made in the marathon than there is in in the track races. To be fair, really, I days. didn't know that. Yeah, yeah, the, the major marathons, there's a lot more money on it um, mm. than than your track performance and stuff like. That. And obviously, that with that in mind, with that sort of that hardened lifestyle, that sort of um, you know escaping poverty sort of thing, is a, is a big driving factor. And yeah. you know. The, the, one of the big differences as well is is in marathon running traditionally the marathon in the western world was a distance you went to when your running career was 
coming towards its end, as you got slower and couldn't compete on the track with the youngsters anymore, you moved to the marathon. Now, yeah. in in the in Kenya and Ethiopia, um, you know, put aside the likes of Kipchoge, who is, um, you know, in his sort of uh, late thirties and such, but a lot of the other guys that are coming to the marathon. Um, from from those countries are a lot younger. They're you know they're they're eighteen, you know twenty, and they're jumping in the marathon, and they're they're knocking out you know two two o fours right and, yeah. and sub two you know sub two o four. I I didn't realise this. So they're coming in early doors for the big money. Yeah. Yeah you know, yeah. And, and, going straight to the marathon. Straight for the marathon. Forget the development forget the track, of five k, ten k, half. Just go straight in for the marathon. Yeah, which in the UK and, and, and the US we still very much are that old school sort of we will focus on the five we will focus on the 10,000 and even the short some of the shorter distances on the track build that speed up and then move to the marathon as we progress There's, there, the problem you know, is of course then you, you've got the were and tour haven't you you, you have you've, yeah and you know when we maybe spoke, to, when we spoke to, to Johnny Meller he was saying how he had to adapt and change his way of training there's a lot more conditioning work he does a lot more cross training and things like mm. that, that he, he uses um you know i mean we you know there's a couple the likes of callum hawkins who is our our, our fastest um well second fastest brit uh third fastest he's still not broke um what's his time i don't come on re, re, give me some times we interviewed charlie spedding his yeah. best uh, was two oh eight thirty three, and he is second fastest Englishman, barring Mo Farah. Mo, Mo, Mo Farah, Farah. Um, his fastest time is what two six something. Uh, right? I think he's run a two four high two four something. Has he? Yeah, two he four. Has, yeah, I think yeah. He has. Okay, okay. Um, I think that was in Chicago. 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 Yeah. Um, and then yeah, and then yeah. Obviously, we've got Steve Jones um, in the the Welshman. And then, and then, he, what was his best? 207 he was a real gem wasn't 207 he 207 something yeah, yeah at yeah. the time as well you know yeah um, and then obviously we've got uh, Callum Hawkins then comes after that um, and Callum is, is considerably on that younger side of things and there is quite a few now of the guys that are, are on the, the younger side of how things. old is Mr Hawkins uh, ooh, I'm gonna say he's completely guessing here um, I know I used to race against his brother Derek um, so Derek's about the same age as me. I don't know why uh, I bring you on this show. I know, I know, I know. Because uh, <laughs> I know slightly more than you. Uh, <laughs> um, I think Callum is probably about two years, three years younger. So what, we're talking 26 then, maybe? Then, then Derek. Who's, who's then Derek, yeah, his brother. I don't, his brother. I, don't, I don't know who Derek is. Derek's his, his brother. <laughs> uh, I, I used to race. Um, funnily enough, there was a good photo the other day that I saw uh, Ben Connor uh, post up uh, on Instagram. And it was from the English schools, uh, 3,000 metre championships. Uh, it must have been back in oh, 2000, uh, 2008, maybe. Yeah, yeah. Um, and uh, he, he finished, I think he finished 15th or something like that in the 3,000 metres. And, and three places further up the field was uh, was my name oh, and, uh, <laughs> so when, when you when you look at that result you you it gives you some belief that you, you think well if I could do it back then I could do it now yeah, maybe well, there's some chance because you, know, well, well, you know Ben's running Ben's running extremely well at the moment um, he ran uh, he what did he, what did he do a sub 60 yeah a sub 61 sorry half marathon back in in, in Larne when, when I raced um, so what are you good four minutes 
four minutes or so ahead of me. Uh, uh, and uh, the winner was Farah in 60 minutes. 60-28. Uh, yeah. And then second place was 10 seconds behind. Yeah, Mark Scott uh, with his debut. Uh, mm. Again, Mark's, Mark's on the younger side. He's probably around 25 or so, 26 right, now. yeah, yeah, interesting. Um, I mean, he's not doing the marathon. He's a 5,000 metre runner, really. Yeah. Um, and Ben Connor is the only other Brit to have achieved the Olympic qualifying standard alongside Johnny Meller um, and Callum Hawkins. Oh, um, right, yeah, so, yeah. So, you know, he's, he's, he's in the potential for selection, really. Um if no one else does it and, and they want to take the full team um, which I you know they definitely should be taking a full team out there to, to Tokyo Tokyo yeah listen I'm, I'm fed up talking about Kenyans and, and all that can we talk about something else all right. Well, well, we had a we had an interesting <laughs> interesting discussion earlier on, didn't we? About uh, and it, it does link to the Kenyans a little bit. Rhodesia, um, yeah, and, and Usain Bolt. Yeah, you wanted to know could Usain could Rhodesia beat Usain Bolt if well, they raced over were, yeah, something in between? The you you were between. telling me that there was a point. You know, I mean that book's probably you know it's. 2012, so, yeah, eight, eight I'd say years, 10 years ten ago. 10 years ago, yeah. And, and Radisha, you, you say he sort of disappears, but he, he trains for these Olympics. He trains he, for he the peer, Olympics, yeah. appears out of nowhere. Uh, that was another thing. When I was reading the story, oh, I wish you hadn't brought me back to this. But when <laughs> I was reading the story, Radisha and those kind of famous sort of athletes, you know, they're like the sort of the David Beckhams, aren't they, of football and whatnot. You know, those, and, they're those, def- and they're definitely seen that way out in Kenya. Oh, yeah. yeah. And, but they weren't, Coaching, this is the interest. They weren't coaching, no, no, they weren't advising. They were just part of the sessions. Yeah, yeah. Just joining in. And uh, I like that. I like that, the professionalism you, you could see. And they were just focusing on, um, Brother Colm had them focusing on form. And they were just going around and he was looking at them all. And they were single file going around. And uh, I said, well, what do you do? Well, if I see someone who's not quite got the form, I'll work with them, you know, on their form. Yeah, yeah. And um, interesting that the, the, these great sort of, yeah, they, and and we mentioned Radisha and whatnot, and, and you say he disappears. I don't know why he disappears. Why does he disappear? But he comes back for the Olympics. Maybe that's because he, he wants you know a big result. I, I think because he's a, because yeah. he's an eight hundred meter runner. There's not like um, mm. you know there's not like with the marathon where there's a major every year. There's you know obviously there's the world champs he could compete in and things like. That. And he, he does usually rock up for a world champs and stuff. He, yeah. But yeah. Um, you know they're every they're every two years, so there's still a gap in between. And I think he goes away and and focuses on life for a little bit. I've seen. Seen Instagram posts from Radisha where he, yeah. he wouldn't, it didn't look like it was him, you know, this finely tuned athlete. He's just there well, uh, with his, his family and stuff like that. And he, he, he well, maybe he's an example, of, on and, you know, an example of someone who's softened, you know, and they've, they've but he, had but the he success. Come, but he comes back, you see, that's the okay. thing. He, he always has that, you know, that drive when it comes around to an Olympic year and things, and he, he's back in. And I know there was. Can you, rumbling, he was going to be can back you do Tokyo. that though? Because he's not really had any success, has he, for well, a long time? Radisha always used to be famous for taking a good four or five months off after yeah. the end of the season. You, you know, we'd take you, a, a week or two weeks break at the end of a season. You said three months Radisha, last time. Radisha, uh, three months, three months, yeah. yeah, yeah maybe could, three months. Yeah, so extended, I, do, I, do, I do listen. But... Um, <laughs> Sometimes, uh, <laughs> but um, you know, um, yeah, he, he was famous for having a big break uh, at the end of a season and just relaxing and, and going away from it. Yeah, but it's not working for him though, is it? Well, he, he wins Olympic golds and he's the world record holder, so it, it clearly did he, is. Did, is he, did he win the gold last time? Uh, I don't know. I'm I don't know now in Rio. I can't. I can't think of the eight hundred meters because uh, you know. Yeah, yeah, I don't know. Yeah. I can't think he won the 800 metres, oh, so I've got to see It's obviously not working for him then, is it? 
<laughs> I know he won London because uh, it was a fantastic. It was it was a memorable race. That's London. eight it was a years very, ago, isn't it? It is. It is nine uh, years ago. Nine. Yeah, getting on well, towards it yeah. by the summer. So um, you know, he's he's in his thirties now. He was in his early twenties. You know, you're going back a long time, aren't oh, you? Oh yeah, you are. You are. I um, mean, let's have a look. Has he won anything? I don't know. We'll find out for you, or maybe the listeners could do some work. You know? have, we can't do all the work. You know, you've taking got to do your something. phone off me and hit it away. You've got to do something as well, <laughs> listener. You know, get in touch and and give us the answers, will you? Yeah, for, cry, for crying out loud. So Bolt was, um, you know, he's considered the, the fastest man. You know, he, he, he likes to punch the air and, and, and sway his hips and all this. But for me, he's not the fastest man in the world, or he was, you know, he wasn't. He was the fastest man at 100 metres, you know. And you've got the fastest man at 400, and you've got all these different distances. Yeah. And and the, the big thing you were telling me about was the 800, Radisha was the best. Bolt was the best at 100. They'd never faced off, and there was a potential face-off. Uh, Bolt wouldn't take Radisha on at 400 metres, no, so um, they, so they, but there was a discussion over 300 metres. Yeah, it never happened. It never happened. There was, there was a, you know, like you get in boxing where you have a, you know, a sort of show fight and you, you bring, you know, maybe boxers from different eras or things like that, and they, they get them just, a, you know, a bit of a, a show fight there and sell tickets and stuff. And yeah, there was always rumblings because um, they had the same, they had the same sports agent. Um, uh, Ricky Sims, which is the same sports agent as, as Mo Farah and, and such, and um, yeah, there was there was always rumblings that they you know matched them up over a distance in between because um, Bolt used to as a junior run the 400 meters as well, um, and Radisha was known for doing the odd 400 in a season just to warm him up for the eight. Um, so there, there was you know rumblings of doing a four, but um, Bolt, Bolt wasn't that keen on it and, and things, and the, the you know it was more drawn towards a 300, and uh, you know it was going to be this sort of bit of a you know, show event to sort of get the fans and everything because Bolt had this huge following. Um, I mean, there was rumblings about, again, uh, Bolt versus Mo Farah and finding the distance in between that would have suited them there and, and things as well. Um, but that was going to be a lot of a, a harder battle. I think um, I think there's not a distance. Well, Mo was a good 1,500 metre runner as well. So maybe maybe an 800 or 600 metres might have worked for them to match up over and see what they could have done. Um but yeah, there was always this discussion. But funnily enough, this year there was a, there was a big kickoff um, on, on social media with a uh, some uh, someone posted about uh, a, a American football player, um, sixty yards dash and stuff like that, and said, "Oh, he's faster than any, any you know this guy's the fastest athlete there is in the world and stuff." And um, the one of the top hurdlers. Um, just commented back saying, "Oh, you know, oh, I think I could take him on, sort of thing." Over it, and uh, the guy replied, not having a clue who this hurdler was. Mm. Oh, you know, no, we've us mediocre people like you and me have got no chance against against this sort of athlete. And it kicked off this big um, argument online about you know these NFL players who are running sixty yards and and you know NFL players, NFL, yeah, yeah American football. That's not a sport, is it? <laughs> and. Um, could they take on the you know the sprinters or, you know a hundred meters? But it's you know the, the argument was like well no they they wouldn't have a chance because you no, know they, they're no. sort of it's a very different thing. It's I'd, 60 lo- yards I'd love to see it, you know it would look, be interesting just just to, to see. show these yeah, people yeah. That, that they're not really fit. You know the no. footballers are not fit. Well the argument the argument I think one, one someone posted saying um, even the jumpers could take on most NFL players in a in a hundred meter sprint. Um, and I think most most long jumpers and triple jumpers and stuff probably could. To be fair, the the, the fast twitch that they've got in them, oh, they've, yeah. they've got to be good yeah. sprinters as well. Yeah, I see what you mean. Um, you know. Yeah, I mean, I'd love to see some of these showdowns just just to just to sort of keep some of these characters quiet. You know, 
And a couple of... Um, I think it's spice up athletics a little bit as well yeah. for, the, for the general public, you know. Yeah, like the gladiators I used to watch that when I was a kid. The Wolfman. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but um, seriously, I mean... I mean, I had a couple of the bin men there a few weeks ago. I recall them telling me... The guys are listening now, John. Oh, I know, so they are. Some of them are listening. No insulting people this no, time, right? No, I would never, <laughs> never dream of it. But um, they were saying, you know, footballers are athletes, and they are athletes now, you know. I don't think so. Personally, no, I don't think so. I don't think they're athletes. How can they be? They're standing around, you know, for most of the match. You follow the ball. Oh, the ball moves quite well. Yeah, the ball. The ball moves quite well. But if you analyse from a bird's eye view of the pitch of the players, the defence, for example, is stationary for large parts of the game. There's movement from the midfield. They're generally a bit fitter, you know, generally quite a lot fitter, but or they're, they're moving around more. Um, they're not athletes. No, athlete, athletes, I think that's a different thing. Sean Connery was asked, you know, is there anything, anything, sir, that moves you to tears? And, you know, he said, he said, athletics and the facial expressions, everything on the line, all that preparation for four years and the, the, and the gun got, it's off and everything, everything in the capacity, it's all out there on display. That's what I deem to be an athlete. Now, you know, the beautiful yeah. game that's not really the same I, I, thing yeah I mean I, I mean you know I think there's to some degree there's, there's definitely athletes within the football world um, but I think I think with any team sport there's a, there's a the reliance is it's a team um, you rely on on the the group of other men or women that are around you um, you know and you can be you can have a weak day one day and your team can still win in athletics if you have a weak day um, it's down to you and, and, and you know that if you're not feeling it and you're not in the in the right sort of shape and stuff like that you, you know you, you're going to have to really dig hard if you want to pull off that, that victory sort of thing um, and if you do then you know that's down to you pulling out the pulling that out of the bag if you don't you know again that's down to you. you you can't rely on a team on that side of things there and yeah you can have a you, people you train with and, and things like that but when it comes to the race and the performance side of it, it it's it's completely down to the individual Interesting thing about the Kenyans, though, is the team spirit is is second to none, isn't it? Oh, they, yeah. they surround the team and they actually sacrifice their own performance for the team. Very interesting. Whereas the Ethiopians perhaps wouldn't do that, and they break away. And then, of course, you get the old Ethiopian who goes with that pace, only to feel a sucker punch because they've gone too early. They've made a sacrifice. In comes the next team member to take it on, and they're working together. Part of me still doesn't understand how a team can work together in a race because ultimately your own the energy from the individual is it's still the same to practically you know you're still moving the body around a particular you know distance but it does it obviously does come into play yeah, because they think, work they do work together yeah I think it's that support side of things that the, the fact that you're working together you sort of bring each other on I know um, you know you look at uh, American cross country races the, in the collegiate system and high school system um, it's, it's always run about the team they, they try and get the runners to pair up um, with a runner of an equal standard within the team and work together to push through the field push the other teams further back through the field because it's all on a scoring system whereas 
in, in, in athletics in the UK, in cross-country, we have that same sort of scoring. The, the cross-country is won through the score that you get, but it's still, it takes on a very individual side of things. We we don't put a lot of focus on, you know, oh, we'll run with that guy because you're both sort of similar and, you know, you can knock back the other team and, and you can, you know, go for the win and stuff. And maybe some of the, the top um, clubs, British clubs, do, do that when they, you know, they, they use those little bit of team tactics to take those... Uh, those championships and stuff, but you know it's it's getting involved in that. Maybe yeah. you'll find that out when you finally get a cross country season as a as a Liverpool Harrier, John Joe. Yeah, yeah. You know I don't like Bolt. I'm just gonna. Uh, I'm just, <laughs> I've just put an, a cross through his name. I don't like Usain Bolt. You know those Jamaicans. They're not the set. The Kenyans. You know they're a pleasant, humble sort of people. They're very laid back. The champions. Um, they work at the, 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 with the youth, with their own developing communities. They're, they're in the schools and, and they're bringing on the next generation. And, and quite obviously within the book, the temperament of the kid, very sort of relaxed, laid back, humble people. And, and um, Finn goes to visit this particular lady. You wouldn't get ladies like it in this area, certainly not. He visits this, this particular lady and um, she's so shy, you know, and she doesn't really want to speak to him. And he goes to the fat, the family home. The husband's a bit suspect, you know, and he, ooh, ooh, you know, what's he doing here? Um, this white fella, they call them Mzunga. We're called white men in, in Kenya, called Mzungas, yeah. Mzungas. So he quite often hears this, this, this Mzungo, look at the Mzungos coming. <laughs> so, you know, it's a bit of a, man, you could call that racist. Yeah, everything's racist, isn't it? You know, but it's not, it's not really. It depends how you, how you come across with these comments. And um, that's the thing. And so he's being called a Mzungo and whatnot. Everywhere he goes and being chased down the street by all these kids who are fascinated by the, the Mazungos, who are few and far between, I imagine. And um, this lady, so shy, so quiet and whatnot, you know, and and um, I forget her name. Matthew probably know her name. Was it Lorna Kitlegat? Could be, could be. And and she wins the London Marathon a few weeks later. Is that, yeah, I think it could I think be, yeah. Right, yeah. And she won't even look at him in the eye, you know, and she's so shy. And the, the far, I don't know, it seemed, seemed like she was dominated by the husband in some way, you know. Uh, um, oh, I see what, yeah, Matthew's just sent me a message there. He's got a very, very weak bladder. And he's going to the toilet in our studio, Mater on. He wants me to keep talking. That's, that's easy for me, Matthew. You go ahead, sir. Go, go and have your pee. Well, as I was saying... In the story, I'm under pressure now. Matthew's gone. I'm on my own here. You know, we're socially distancing. As you can imagine, that's a big thing right now. And um, But the temperament of these individuals, so relaxed, down to earth, um, and having won some of the, the most iconic events Boston, New York Marathon, London Marathon, and you expect a certain amount of ego. You expect a certain amount of, oh, you know, you know, strutting oneself around, you know, I am, I am, you know, uh, and really, you know, but no, the opposite, in fact, a down-to-earth, he's back in the room, down-to-earth, humble humble um, and it's not a big deal 
it's it's not a big deal for them. They 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 they've won everything there is to to even consider. At these huge events, just mentioned Matthew, the New York one. They've won, and yet it's it's not a big deal. Oh well, yeah, you know, I expected. The communities go, come to the local pub to watch the London Marathon. They couldn't get the bloody signal. There's some star um, previous past winners in the room. You know, they're they're in the office of the guy who owns the pub. They've got a big screen as well. Couldn't get a sit. Couldn't get the connection. Forty five minutes in, they're not that bothered. They're really there. They're, they're packed out. You know, yeah, yeah. they go to the local hotel to watch it instead or some other place. I'm sure that's the same place that Charlie Spedding goes to when he's in Kenya and just keeps getting filled with uh, with beer. How do you know that? I'm just sure. It, just the two stories yeah. when, they, when they match up, it just seems like it's the same sort of place, you know, when, well, you, when you read it. Really, yeah, but yeah, the, know, just, there, just there must be more than way. one pub in, in well, I-10. Yeah, I- well, maybe not. It's only a small small town, isn't it, in I-10? So. It's small. I don't know how small it is, though. It is small, yeah. Yeah, yeah, it is small. It's When you're reading a book, you sort of... There's things you focus in on and things you sort of disconnect with and, and the spatial, you know, the of the area. It's not that important to me. I'm more focused on, let's say, I don't know, you know. But uh, I don't know. It's in. I don't know how big the place is. How big is it? We'll, we'll have to go there. We'll have to go we'll have there. To go. We'll have to go. We will. Um, we'll yes, go. we will. Matthew's getting very, very um, fidgety. So I'm going to end the show here for people. <laughs> Um, <laughs> I've, I've been the, uh, the bathroom. I'm, I'm absolutely fine to, uh, to carry on. But uh, no, well, before we before we do, obviously yeah. you were saying about going there. That's that's. It's funnily enough, I was out for a run this morning with uh, with Dylan, and um, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. and uh, we yeah. were we were talking about the exact same thing: going to altitude, getting a, a group together, yeah. and, and heading to an altitude camp at some point. You know, when, when we're free to go out somewhere again, and let's and go. Forget Boris. Let's go now. Let's go <laughs> the to. Borders are closed. The borders are closed. Well, we can swim across so far. You know, get, you know, we'll get some help from. I don't know. But um, triathlon training. <laughs> I ten. Well, triathlon. What's it? Come on. That's for the, that's for the, the people who can't run. You. Yeah. 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 You're on no, the re- sh- those short ten k's. Yeah. But, uh, yeah. You know, they, they're, they're just. You know, they're looking for an easy way, aren't they? You know, we all know that. That's just people don't want to say it. You know, we say it out loud. We say what we think. Triathlons are for people who, let's be honest, you know, they can't run. You're still listening, Richard. Richard's a bit... Oh, they, they can't run, so they're trying to find a way around it. You know, we'll, we'll run a little bit, then we'll do a little bit something else. You know, it's like a pick and mix, isn't it? Ah, come on. Come on, Richard. Get with the uh, the real man, you know. We, we must we must get Richard on, on, on the show to yeah. discuss... Sort of that, that side of things, the triathlon side, and see if, see how much you can wind him up. Wind him up. And you know, uh, I want Richard on the to... show. I want Kelly on the show as well. I, I want ordinary people. Forget the big wigs. I want ordinary people on this show. I want ordinary people who speak an ordinary language. I want I want to hear their opinions as well as the as the top athletes. You know, and I, I want a mixed bag. Uh, and this show. Long may it continue, people. Long may it continue. Your thoughts and feelings, please write into us. At Matthew's address again, please. The, the, oh, yeah, the, the, uh, the, the shop uh, email yeah. address, yeah. Um, it's uh, run at madetorun.co.uk. Please get in touch with your comments, feelings about the show. Um, 
I don't know if there's anything more we can discuss this week. I'm sure you know we're exhausted here. Yeah, I think that's a that's a good wrap. And uh, thanks everyone to uh, for listening again. As always, we hope we're helping you through this uh, third lockdown. And uh, we'll catch you all next week. And any more Ugali recipes? Again, please send them in. I'm I'm intrigued. God willing, we will see you next time. Same place, same venue. And from myself and Matthew, we wish you good mental health.